please join me in prayer. Lord, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture lesson may be found in Luke chapter 14. The reading begins at verse 25. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot... Then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was stunned when I walked into Kelly's Corner Market that day and saw that the candy shelves were absolutely empty. Not a Tootsie Roll or a Wrigley Spearmint anywhere to be seen. I had a nickel in my pocket intending to buy a Hershey bar. A Hershey bar for five cents? That's a clue to my age at the time. I was eight years old. Pop Kelly, the owner of Kelly's Corner Market, saw my dismay, walked over, shook his head and said, Son, I'm afraid there will be no more candy for the duration. It's all going to our soldiers overseas. Well, that was my first introduction to rationing during World War II. Rationing which meant not only candy and sugar, but of course, rubber, metal, canned goods, cooking oil, and especially gasoline. Gasoline. Which meant that there would be no more visits to the grandparents in Ventura County. There would be no more camping trips in the Santa Ynez Valley. Gasoline was too scarce. And we gladly sacrificed so that our soldiers, unlike the king's army in today's text, so that our brave soldiers would have everything they needed to win the war. Now, at the same time, my older brother and I had outgrown our bedroom. It 
about 10 feet by 15 feet, and we had clothes and toys and instruments and books scattered all over the, all over the floor. It simply wasn't big enough for us. So my father, a jack-of-all-trades, decided he would build a brand-new two-car garage with an apartment overhead to serve as our, as our bedroom. It was 1943, right in the middle of the war. Building materials were scarce. Fortunately, a carpenter lived just across the street. And with his help, my father was able to stockpile enough wood nails, plaster, cement, you name it, whatever it took to get the job done. And so after several months, Ken and I moved into our new digs and lived like kings because my father, unlike the contractor in today's parable, was able to lay a foundation and finish the job. Now Jesus tells these short stories in Luke chapter 14 to warn us against what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once called cheap grace. The notion that the Christian life is a low-cost affair, that you can buy forgiveness at the 99-cent store or purchase eternal life at a discount mall. Jesus is not into cheap grace. Jesus' demands are costly. And they are framed within two phrases in today's text. Whoever comes to me and whoever follows me. To come to Jesus and to follow Jesus are two very different stages along the Christian way. To come suggests curiosity, peeking in the door, taking a second look, perhaps even joining a church. And sad to say, every church that I have known about, every church I have been the pastor of, every church has had its share of people who come but don't follow. They join and then never show up again. I was the third senior pastor to serve Valley Presbyterian Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. My two predecessors were still living at the time, and so on the 40th anniversary of the church, the three of us posed for a portrait which then hung in the entrance hall to the church's administration building. There I am standing next to the founding pastor, Herb Landis, and next to him was my immediate predecessor, Wilson Kilgore. Well, one day a man walked into the office, said to the receptionist, my name is so-and-so, I've been a member of this church for over 30 years. He then spotted the picture on the wall. He said, oh, there's Herb and Wilson. Who's the third guy? At that point, I had been the pastor of that church for 14 years. <laughs> now, there was a man who had come and joined, held a membership certificate, 
But when he saw the picture, he had to ask, who's the third guy? He had laid a foundation, but for some reason, failed to build upon it. So come to me, come to me is only the beginning. It's the invitation, but not the RSVP. It's the starting block, but not the race. And Jesus insists that if we are to follow him, there will be something more required of us. Indeed, he says, everything will be required of us. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoever comes to me and does not Oh, this is hard, folks. This is tough. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. And then he caps it off with these words. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Can you imagine one of our presidential candidates talking like that at the next debate? If you elect me as your president, wages will go down. You'll lose your homes and forfeit your 401ks. You'll alienate your children, your wife, your spouse will never speak to you again. Talk like that would mean sudden death to presidential hopes. But then Jesus isn't running for president. He is walking toward his cross. And if we followed him, we too must carry some kind of cross. In biblical times, many paid the ultimate price. Stephen and James, Paul and Peter not to mention the martyrs thrown to the lions in Roman arenas. In modern times, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., Esther John, Archbishop Oscar Romero, again, not to mention the hundreds who today are being executed in other countries for their faith by extremists. And does that mean that you and I must now turn our backs on our families, give away our possessions, and seek martyrdom? Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, I believe, unlocks the essential meaning of this text. If you are not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. If you are not willing to kiss it goodbye, well, God willing, you and I will not have to give up our life for our faith, yet at any moment out of obedience to Jesus Christ, we may be asked to renounce some part of our family, our career, our wealth, some opportunity, some cherished dream in obedience to Jesus Christ. 
I was 16 when I got my first taste of kissing it goodbye. Of course, my, my experience pales by comparison with the martyrs whom I have mentioned, but to me it was a big deal at the time. My father, the immigrant from Sweden, my father with the eighth grade education, my father who drove a 25-year-old Model A Ford, my father had grand ambitions for me. Like most immigrants who come to America and scrape together a modest but decent lifestyle, my father saw a brighter future for me than he was able to achieve, and that meant a notable career and big bucks. I, on the other hand, was sensing a definite call to ministry in the Church of Jesus Christ, not at all what he had in mind. And when I finally worked up the nerve to tell him that I wanted to be a pastor, he said, son, no. No. For one thing, you'll starve if you become a pastor. If you want to serve people, that's fine. Study to become a teacher, and at least you'll have some security. Well, I stuck to my guns 70 years ago. And though I've never earned the big bucks, I have yet to starve. Oh, by the way, my dad eventually came around. While I was studying at Fuller Theological Seminary in those years, I, Carol and I drove to Santa Barbara every weekend to preach in my home church while the congregation was seeking a new pastor. And most every Sunday, there he sat, my father, front and center, dressed in his only double-breasted suit smiling at my first attempts to preach. William Barclay recounts a conversation between two professors. One of them said, so-and-so tells me that, that he was one of your students. The other one replied, well, he may have attended my lectures but he wasn't one of my students. Are you a student of Jesus Christ? Or do you just attend his lectures? When we hear Jesus say, carry your cross and follow me, are we hanging for dear life onto our wallets and our checkbooks, our play toys, our less than laudable habits, our calendar that is so crammed with commitments that God has a tough time finding an opening? The tiny college Carol and I attended, now huge Azusa Pacific University, had and still has a two-word motto, God first. I commend those two words to you. On Monday morning, when you wake up, God first. When you walk into your kitchen or office on Tuesday, God first. 
when temptation rears its ugly head on Wednesday, God first. When your carefully crafted schedule gets interrupted by someone in need on Thursday, God first. When you pay your bills and look after your investments on Friday, God first. When you wonder what to do with your free time on Saturday, God first. Engrave those two words on the tissue of your brain, on the walls of your heart, on the muscle of your will. And then, whatever Jesus Christ asks you to, to sacrifice, you will have no regret whatsoever kissing it goodbye.